0: really, really eyes wide open so that you're almost a bit prescient about what's coming next, sort of like the Wayne Gretzky of a talk show where you're going where the puck is going to go not where it is currently and that's what i
1: think we're going to try to achieve in this show i love that analogy that's tv and radio veteran linda Steele talking about the upcoming Steele and vance show a new project for czech tv that will see her and fellow vancouver broadcaster jody vance take on the issues of the day in prime time every week on this episode of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast, Steele and Vance give us a behind the scenes look at the development of their new show. We also talk about Jody's five year struggle with criminal level listener harassment, working outside the limitations of corporate media, and more. I'm Jody
2: Vance, and my broadcast journey actually started. Before I was even a fully formed adult, I was watching the Canucks game, being a, a big hockey fan and in a household where I didn't have uh, any say over what was actually on TV, being the only girl in my house. Um, I, I watched Jim Robson calling the game and I thought, wow, that's a cool job. And that's when I thought in my mind, okay, you know, I love sports. My dad was the head of the PE department at Britannia High School, which is the largest. Uh, High school in BC, every other weekend with dad, every other weekend, another sporting event. So I learned all the rules. And that sort of formatively, between the ages of sort of eight and 12, I decided I wanted to be a sportscaster on TV. And when I started saying that out loud, I got a lot of laughs, let me tell you, in the mid to late 70s, early 80s. Um, But I kept saying it out loud and eventually. Somebody heard me and it was actually somebody, I was bartending at Bruce Allen's Christmas party in 1988, working my way into the business by just trying to find my opportunities and telling anybody who would listen to me that I wanted to do it. And I had plans to go to BCIT, but I hadn't quite saved up the money for that yet. And uh, I was bartending and somebody asked me because I had the busiest of the bars in all of Bruce Allen's Christmas party office Christmas party. And this woman named Pam Seal said, I have, I have a job for you. We're, we're launching Canada's first classic rock radio station, and we need a community cruiser reporter. Uh, we need somebody who'll go and hand out stickers in shopping malls and such. And, and she dropped a card in my tip jar, and she said, 10 bucks an hour, call me tomorrow. So I did. And so I started working at CHRX moments later, and fast forward to my next opportunity of being able to work at CFMI, which is now Rock 101 which is CKW, which is where Linda and I met. CFMI CKW. I was the cruiser reporter there and our promotions assistant and then eventually assistant promotions director. So I worked my way up that radio ladder within this rock and roll, you know, hang up signage, report from the Shell station and, you know, hand out indie tickets to the first person by to say, I love CFMI or Vancouver's Best Rock That back in the... Hey, day of radio. And then everyone who asked me what I aspired to do, I kept telling them I wanted to be a sportscaster on TV. And one day, the general manager at CFMI CKNW, who had moved over to BCTV, Ron Bremner, called me up and said, Why don't you come for lunch at the station? I'll give you a tour. And he toured me around BCTV, took me for lunch, and he introduced me to all the newsies around the station. And Jody wants to do sports. They looked at me, okay. And then uh, he called me the next day and said, did anybody phone you? And I said, no. And he goes, come back for lunch tomorrow. So I did. <laughs> and he walked me around. And he goes, I'm sorry. I'm not sure anybody, you, anybody heard me. Jody's interested in doing sports. And it wasn't long after that. It, it was 1996. Uh, it wasn't long after that meeting that I got a call to come in and audition, having never done television before, but doing six and a bit years of radio. I was terrified to sit in front of a camera and attempt to, to do justice to the script that was in the prompter that I didn't write. And they told me I had to take my glasses off because nobody wears glasses on TV. And I, so I did it without my glasses on and it was not, not my, obviously not my best, but somehow, some way, I got the opportunity to do my first television sports cast. I, I was asked if I might fill in on uh, a Friday the thirteenth, it was Friday September thirteenth. It was a lunar eclipse. I was so scared. They had just let go the twenty five year veterans and Bernie Pascal and John Michici, uh from that job, and they let me wear my glasses that night. Uh, thankfully, I don't think I even had makeup on because I was so frantically throwing things together. And I'll never forget Squire Barnes came in. He's still at BCTV, still the sports director. Squire is this amazing human. I was preparing to do the late uh, sports, which is a significant sports package. I had no idea what I was doing. There was no internet. There was no way to look things up without flipping through books. I had no idea how to edit tape together, Never mind gather what I was to to do. And and Squire showed up at about nine o'clock at night and he said, put his jacket on the back of the chair, and he goes, something told me that you might need some help here. To this day, I will uh, point to Squire doing that as to why I've ever got an opportunity to to do a second night of anything in television, but it did sort of launch that next level. My two appearances on BCTV ended up being my demo tape for Vancouver Television, which is where I was the only person in the sports department there, and that's where I gave a tour to somebody, some guy named Scott Moore, who was putting together this station called S3, which would become Sportsnet. And he randomly asked me on this tour, where do you see yourself? What's your goal? Um, and I said, I, you know, I want to be the first woman on the desk at Sportsnet. And Scott Moore tells that story today that that's the moment he decided I would be. So saying what you want out loud has kind of been a theme in my uh, career. And that will tie into Uh, certainly what brings me here to talk with you with, with my new partner here on this podcast.
0: Well, I'm Linda Steele and my broadcast journey really started at the very beginning of my second year at BCIT in the broadcast journalism program. Duncan Spate was uh, one of my instructors and he was a mentor, a supporter, and he got me into CKVU, which was the station that came before UTV, before Global, which is now City TV. And they said that I could go and Observe the people in action in the newsroom. And they meant I could not touch anything. So I spent several days sitting, observing someone do research, <laughs> which is entirely boring, but still thrilling at the same time for somebody who really was uh, wanting to get into this business. One day I'm sitting in the newsroom and the assignment editor points at me and says you get out with a camera and i'm thinking me for sure this is great and they sent me out to do some streeters which is one of the things that people in television absolutely despise doing but i was delighted driving with the cameraman and the ckvu the vu 13 car i just felt like everybody was looking at me they're wondering who is that in that car it must be someone famous it was just so thrilling and unbeknownst to me, while I was gone, the staff association, which was very strong at CKVU, said, where's Steele? They said they sent her out to do something. She's not on the payroll. We're gonna file a grievance. And so by the time I got back, I was on the payroll. And I ended up working full-time in my second year because they were short-staffed. And here's this totally green student from BCIT doing stories for the six o'clock news. I had no idea what I was doing, but you were going to fake it till you make it. And it was just like the biggest learning curve in the world. Some of my other classmates at BCIT, unfortunately, were unhappy about the fact that I was working five days a week for a television news station in Vancouver and tried getting me kicked out of class because you weren't allowed to miss that many classes. But Duncan stepped up for me and... uh, Dave Byro who was the news director at CKVU signed off on a co-op program and that began my journey. I was full-time working as a television reporter. I was 19, just turning 20, ended up getting a job in Edmonton, which is where I'm from and love Edmonton, but did not want to move back at the time. But our news anchor at the time at CKVU, Len Grant, uh, used to live in Edmonton, and he had gone back for a visit. And they said, "We need some fresh talent, and can you recommend anybody in Vancouver?" So I got a cold call from ITV in Edmonton, and I was flattered, but I did not want the job, but didn't want to turn down the opportunity to interview for it. So I went for the job. Sadly, was offered the job and thought, "Oh my God, how do I get out of this?" I really wanted to stay in Vancouver, so. This this dumb idiot kid with no experience said, well, I couldn't possibly take it for that amount of money. (laughs) The news director stood up, walked out, came back in and said, all right, and they gave me the money I asked for. And I thought, okay. So I packed up my old Camaro and drove back to Edmonton, sort of crying as the Vancouver skyline disappeared in the rearview mirror. And I thought, I'll stay in Edmonton one year. That's it, then I'm getting back to Vancouver but I met my husband and I ended up sort of bouncing around in Edmonton from ITV to CBC, back to ITV, which turned into Global, and became the six o'clock anchor at Global Edmonton, which I did for about 17 years with my co-host, Gord Steinke. And we had so much fun. That was the most fun in my entire media career. But time came, my husband got offered a job in Vancouver. And I thought, you know what, I had done everything I could possibly have wanted to do at ITV slash global. So let's go to Vancouver. I'm sure I'll find something there. And ended up with CTV Vancouver doing the consumer segment, Steel on Your Side. And from there, wanted to try the one last thing in the media industry that I had not done, which was radio. So I applied for a job at CKNW as the host of The Afternoon Drive got that, did it for six years, and then stepped out because my dad's in the end stages of Alzheimer's and I'm the only family member here. And it was just getting a little too complicated to give him the attention he needed. So about a year ago, I quit and thought, okay, lots of time for dad, time to sort of recoup from the crazy five and six year news cycle that had been driven by the Trump era. And thought to myself, I'm going to lose my mind doing nothing but going to a nursing home a couple of times a week. So I phoned up Jody Vance and I said, hey, do you have time to go for dinner? So one super stormy night right before Christmas last year, we went for dinner and I began to kind of regale her with my tales of losing it and wondering how I could come up with something that would fit the time constraints that I needed to keep open for my dad and she, within minutes, said, let's do a podcast together. And anyway, that's where we are today, because the podcast turned into a TV show,
1: and then Steel
0: and Vance was born.
1: So how far does your relationship with each other go? And how did the conversation start with check?
2: Well, when I was working at uh, breakfast television at City TV, because I could have gone on for about 30 minutes on how many times I've... Had the opportunity to work in my hometown here in Vancouver. Vancouver Television went back to Sportsnet. Came back to Vancouver with my infant at that point. Brady was just a little baby, and uh, was working in back in radio, music radio this time, and then worked a little at CBC doing some sports, and then the Canucks went on the Stanley Cup run, which landed me a job at Breakfast Television. Worked there for five years, and then BT laid me off, and Drex who was working on Steel and Drex at CKNW, DM'd me on Twitter and said, ever consider doing radio? Of course, he didn't know my history at this point. And, and I said, yeah, I love radio. And he said, well, I think you should come and do some fill in here. Pulled me into the station. I met with Larry Gifford, the pro, new program director at CKNW. And he said, I would like you to fill in on the evening show. There had been some turnover there. And, and we'll plug you into other shows. You can sort of be on our bench of fill-in hosts. And then Linda and Drex asked that I be their respective fill-in person. So when Drex was away, I worked with Linda. And when Linda was away, I worked with Drex. So I had the opportunity to be their backfill person and sort of join that show's team. And I had the best time working with both of them. But Linda and I had some some fire and some spark because we don't agree on everything but we have this incredible trust and respect with one another like when i look across the control room at her i know that she hears what i'm saying in a way that is my perspective and she'll challenge me on it in a way that i think that the listeners got it and get it and i remember and linda you can jump in on this one i think it was the throne speech day it might have been in a provincial election day but we were sitting, uh, we were working together for that week, and and I'll never forget. Larry walked down the hallway one day, and he goes, "Well, you ladies won the market yesterday, number one in Vancouver across the board." And we kind of looked at each other as like it felt good, and and so I I have been doing sort of that fill in, and then when Drex moved to another day part, and then Linda had the show all all into her own. I would fill in for her but never got the chance to actually work with with her and I missed it. And that's I think why it was so quick in our conversation back in December because Linda said I want to you know I'm just meeting with all the women that are doing the things that are killing it in this and and I was like oh, I'm so grateful that you have me on that list and she goes sister you're the first person I'm talking to and I'm like well let's do this. And so we just started and we were doing weekly 1 hour practice zoom call podcasts in preparation for launching it we kept it a secret up until last week you know we're in the beginning of june here and and when when the world found out many of our very close friends found out as well because you don't say anything out loud until all the details are are done so that's kind of how we know each other and linda why don't you share how the check piece of the puzzle came into play
0: Ah, oh, it was a really weird sort of a scenario where Jody said, You know what? You should start writing for The Orca, which is an online news site. And then we'll start using our columns as a bit of fodder for the podcast. So I thought, I loved writing. I used to write for the Edmonton Journal. I did a bi weekly lifestyles column. And I thought, okay, that sounds good. And I was tiptoeing back into the world by writing for The Orca. And McLean Kay, who is the editor-in-chief of The Orca, which is now sadly folded, we were all talking about the possibilities and merging our columns with a podcast with the potential to cross over with Czech TV. So The Orca has relationships with Czech. And when we talked to McLean about that, he said, oh, that's funny, he said, because Czech wants to expand its Vancouver footprint. And they had already been looking for who might help them do that. And both Jody's name and your name has come up in the past. So we thought, perfect. Why don't you float to them that we have some interest in doing something with them? And in a very short period of time, they came back with, yes, yes, we're interested in doing that. Jody and I were interested in doing that. When it turned out that the podcast proper was not going to be something that was going to be easy to get off the ground quickly it became solely the television idea. Then the Orca folded so we weren't writing anymore. I don't know if that's gonna be revived in some form, but we started having discussions with the folks at Czech and realized really quickly that we were a good fit. They wanted people who had a profile, they were loving the idea that two smart veteran female broadcasters wanted to get together and team up and do a show that we wanted to watch, the kind of show that people like me and Jody would tune in for. So, they just gave us carte blanche. You guys do whatever you want to do. We signed off on the details how long, when, what day, and what have you. And the rest of it is really they're saying, go ahead, Uh, we're hands off. Let us know what you need, and we can just do the kind of show that we want to do at a station which is independent and not sort of hung up by all the restraints that you have when you're a national network. Everything has to look the same, sound the same, be the same. We get to do whatever we want. And it is one of those super rare opportunities, especially in this media era. So
1: we're thrilled about it. You've said this won't be a standard talk show, and you've both been doing this a long time. Is there an element in the development here of just holding your own interest in terms of coloring outside the lines of you know, a typically formatted talk show.
2: Absolutely. There's uh, an opportunity here for us to scare ourselves, to be honest with you. It's like we, when Linda was telling her story off the top of, of this podcast and saying, you know, she's literally done everything and she was checking off the, what else do I need on my bucket list of things that I want to do in the media broadcast realm? This was something that we looked at at one another and agreed is the the perfect opportunity at the perfect time in our careers where we can truly be ourselves on TV, where we authentically we own this show. This is this is the Linda Steele and Jody Vance production. It's ours. And the way check has us empowered is like you said, Linda, it's so rare. This is, this is a unicorn in broadcast. This, is a, this check as an entity is owned by its employees. There's true freedom in that. And I often say when I'm trying to explain it to people now, this is going to sound a little odd, but it's true. My goal is to get Linda so fired up that she almost swears on TV. Oh, that's not not going to be hard. (laughs) Right. I know. I love it because you'll, you know, this, this vibe of, of, of authenticity. And when we, when the two of us sit at a table and talk, it is like fireworks of fun and, and funny and, and challenging and cool. And we want to involve our viewer, uh, in a way that they feel like they have a seat at the table. And, and, and are welcome there, even if they completely disagree with what we're saying. Um, but we want to have zero tolerance for disrespect. And in so much of our experience over this last five, six years, there's been this, this spiral of silos and, and, and divisiveness, right? And, and we just want a place where people can go and feel like they're talking about the issues that land on our kitchen table. You know, here in BC, it matters here in British Columbia and even drilled down tighter. It could be, you know, in the south coast of BC. We'll talk about international and provincial wide and and even the things that don't have to do with politics. Like this is about what people might be chewing on. And Linda, tell about that one rehearsal we did and and how you texted me after watching it back.
0: Well, we were thinking, okay, if we're actually going to get a one-hour show at check, once you take out all the commercials and promos and what have you, it's about 45 minutes. So we started altering our podcast rehearsals to, let's go around the hour mark, see if we have enough juice on things, how long can we go? And we were always, oh my God, it's an hour 10, it's an hour 15, okay, we have to shut up now. So clearly we have a lot of things to say. And a lot of things that we're interested in and filling a one-hour show is not going to be a problem. Will it be interesting? Are we filling it with an hour's worth of interesting content and opinions that other people want to hear? So I was recording some of these Zoom podcasts and on occasion when we were done, I would go back and have a look at it and see, okay, that felt good, but was it actually any good? And I would think, this is really engaging. We're not so different from anybody else, except for that we're both total news junkies. We love the news. We have a lot of things to say. We're super curious. We're very similar in a lot of ways and very different in a lot of ways. And I think that when I was engaged watching it back, I thought, okay, this is going to work because I think what we can do, radio is such an amazing medium because it's so intimate. But you have to be 100% authentic or it doesn't work because people don't have the visual distraction. They're listening. And if you're pretending to be something you're not, pretending to be smarter, pretending to be more outraged, pretending to be funnier, it doesn't translate. Over a period of time, people are like, nah, this doesn't, this feels inauthentic. I'm not interested. So when you spend a long chunk of your career in radio, you learn to just Throw off all the pretenses. You are just for better or worse, this is who I am. You know, you may not agree with me, but as long as you generally speaking find it interesting, enlightening, entertaining, aggravating, whatever it is, and you keep coming back, that's the win. So, after both of us having spent probably the bulk of our careers in television, which is generally speak, speaking, tightly scripted, you don't have a ton of time to show personality. So we have the television skills and chops. Now you take the radio piece where you're doing four-hour shows that were unscripted about multiple subjects you didn't have enough time to even do proper research on. That is the perfect marriage because now you get to bring your authenticity, your true personality, your thoughts, your opinions, people know who you are, and you get to do it in a medium where it is fulsome. You're both seeing and hearing and engaging. And I do really believe that this is the right time for both of us to do this kind of show.
1: Well, my next question was going to be about the COVID news cycle, Linda, because I've also sat in that host chair at what used to be called the World Today at NW, and hosting three or four hours of talk can be sometimes a real slog on a good day, not to mention the polarized commentary and sometimes the abuse that was, you know, directed at hosts, Have you thought about what kind of talk or news people have an appetite for coming out of that COVID news cycle?
0: Well, for one thing, uh, there has been such a focus on COVID for obvious reasons for two and a half years. Thank God we didn't know in the spring of uh, 2020 that we'd still be talking about COVID in 2022. So yes, we talk about COVID when it's important, when there's something relevant that you need to know, something that impacts your day-to-day life. But coming out of COVID, we have to get back to just plain curiosity. Some of the best stories, the best conversations are driven by something you saw, just a simple observation, walking down the street, having a conversation, overhearing something in a coffee shop, just being really curious, almost like the Seinfeld of news, where you're seeing something that people are not talking about just yet. But once you verbalize it, people are like, yes, exactly, that's what I was wondering too. So I think what we have to do is just really take a broad look at what's going on in the world both today but also going forward. One of the things I love to do on my CKW show was get a jump start on talking about things that people were going to be talking about next week. They just didn't know yet. So we would jump off on these subjects. None of the shows were touching them except for ours. And next week. Everybody's talking about them. So it's a, you know, trying to be really, really eyes wide open so that you're almost a bit prescient about what's coming next. Sort of like the Wayne Gretzky of a talk show, where you're going where the puck is going to go, not where it is currently. And that's what I think we're going to try to achieve in this show.
1: I want to kind of switch gears here and touch on an article that was published in the Globe and Mail last fall. Jody, about your own struggle with harassment as a public figure over the years. And finally, just recently, there's actual data being collected on the toll that this has taken on journalists' mental health. And you've said before you think there needs to be more discussion publicly about this. You work with so many outlets, and I'm wondering what your sense is of whether things are shifting. In terms I hope
2: of, so. Yeah.
1: No, go ahead. In terms of? In terms of this actually being recognized, particularly by employers. I'm so glad I got you to finish that sentence because that's a
2: real key to this. This scenario, it went on for five years for those who didn't have the opportunity to read the piece in the Globe and Mail. I was hesitant to do the interview with Mike Hager, who was Phenomenal. In how he handled a very sensitive subject and a very sensitive me in sharing that side of my life. Because this individual who has now been criminally charged with five counts of criminal online harassment had been coming at me in the most vitriolic way constantly for five years. And when I tried to suck it up, which is what you know, all of us, whether journalists or not, there are so many people who are just like, no, I just have to suck it up. And I just got to the point where I was like, I can't allow this to happen. He actually brought my son into the dialogue at one point. And there's there are many moving parts to this particular story and what he did and why and how. But what really I think is important is when I went to the powers that be, it was through my CKNW email that he was coming at me, the listener email. And I, I said to the producer who's now not at CKW, not because of this, but I, I reported it to, to John O'Dowd and he said, you know what, there's not a lot we can do because we don't really know is this his real name? We don't even really know where he is. He could just be a troll and da-da-da. And at this point John, John didn't have a full understanding of the breadth of what I had been receiving. And and Linda even received many. This this individual would copy in all of my colleagues, the news directors, the viewer lines the tip lines the the guests i would have on the show you know i had international vaccinologists on the show as guests and this person would like screen cap my twitter feed and augment and you know put my face on pictures of people in the hall uh in the prison camp during the holocaust and it was just it was horrible stuff that he was doing and and i just I I decided I was going to call the the non emergency line of the Vancouver Police and 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 just report it get a file going and and they also said you know there's really no way of identifying who this is. I think it was a couple of months after I'd gone through that process, feeling scared for the escalation of his communication because I'd block him, but he'd show up in the trash of my emails and I'd go into the I didn't even have my own radio show and yet I would get tens of emails per day from this individual over a long long period of time and one fateful day jesse miller of mediated reality is a digital uh, social media educator and a a specialist on, on online and digital security and jesse miller texted me one day and said got time for a quick call and i said yes and he goes grab a pencil so jesse phoned me and he goes this guy pick the wrong person to come at. So guy that's been doing this to me for five years went after Jesse, after he came on the, one of the shows with me and Jesse found him in five minutes, five minutes. And the reason I tell that whole long and involved story is because if Jesse can find him in five minutes, corporate across the country, law enforcement across the country, media or non-media, Need to find out how Jesse did that. We need to bring our due diligence and protection of our employees up to that level. If somebody is be being harassed in this way, it should be handled in a way that is swift and meaningful in its consequence. And I believe that since that Globe and Mail story, and I go back to Mike Hager, and I have so much gratitude for him, the attention that that garnered, I already see. Change in that regard. It is it is an active ask by management in, at at chorus anyway. That anybody is receiving harassing emails that make them, you know, feel at all uncomfortable. They are to be submitted. There's like a whole process now. They're flagged. They're contacted by, you know, a management team, and and it's just moving it towards a better response. I guess is is my answer. I've got a long way to go. I'm going to see this through to the end. Um, it's still in the courts now, which is why I don't get really specific about his name. But I think this is one step closer to fewer people going through what my family has gone through as a result of the harassment this man uh, has thrown at us for, for way too long. So I really appreciate you bringing it up and asking, and I hope that, I hope that there's more change coming uh, quickly in that regard.
1: What's it like to persevere through that? Did it creep into your psyche at all in In terms of how you went about doing an interview or approaching a topic?
2: Not in the interview and approaching topic sense. It affected me in the, I was worried uh, in terms of my personal safety. His photo hangs in the office at my son's school, even though I don't ever talk about where my son goes to school. You know, I I changed my car. I changed my license plates on my car regularly. I never, ever, ever take a picture of where I live. I don't talk about specifics in my life like that, as as most on air people tend to not do. But I'm very cautious. As you saw in the Globe and Mail article, I had a couple of stalkers when I lived in Toronto, and and they really liked me. (laughs) But this person clearly did not like me. If anything, it gave me it gave me a feeling of I, it ever, it's ever more important that I do not let him change who I am as a broadcaster or how I come at any topics because that would give him the power of, aha, I changed this. I've intimidated her to the point where I've changed you know who she is. What I did do, though, is I stopped doing uh, the events that I would have otherwise done, you know promoting the fact that I'm there on behalf of the charity to do the thing because I didn't know if he'd show up. And uh, that was really scary for a while. And now he has all kinds of restrictions on him. If he shows up, he goes to jail. So I'm, I feel a little freer in that regard. Um, and I think he feels less bold knowing that I know who he is and that he has um, significant charges um, on the table for him to defend now. It's changed me as a person. I'm, I'm angry that I had five years of that level of stress and I'll never get that back as if my those five years weren't stressful enough, <laughs> but hopefully moving forward, there's going to be positive change. And the Vancouver Police Department, when you go through um, victim services, they offer um, at no cost, ongoing, infinite support, uh, mental health supports. I have a counselor who's phenomenal, knowledgeable in this particular lane, and I have uh, access to her as often and as long as I want, as long as I need perpetually.
1: I know it's long been important for you to work for yourself, Jody, And I, I kind of want to ask you both about moving in this direction away from corporate broadcasting. There are a lot of journalists who want to do this, but they don't pursue it. Can you talk about that path? and getting there psychologically?
0: To the point Jody made earlier, part of it is just sort of knowing what you want to do and then making it happen, creating a plan to see how you can make your vision a reality. And so it might not always work, but for me, I knew that I needed to do something that kept me creatively, and intellectually engaged, but still gave me enough personal time so that I could take care of my dad in the way that I wanted to. And so how was I going to do that? Well, it was going to be some sort of a freelance thing. I've been doing some media training on the side. I don't mind that. I don't love that. That was not something that filled my cup. And so I knew that I needed to find something that would involve writing or broadcasting, whether it be radio or television. Is that a podcast? What are the options? And so I created a list of people who had been successful in a freelance sort of a way in media. And I determined that I was going to have lunch with each one of these people or dinner, and I would pick their brains and what do you think about what I'm doing? What do you think? Just to sort of get a flow of ideas going. And it just, for me, was lucky that the person at the top of my list was Jody Vance, who was someone who'd cobbled together a really impressive freelance career on her terms. And again, the magic sort of began from there. So I think you have to spend a lot of time sitting with yourself deciding what is it you want to do, how does that fit with your finances, with your creative goals, and then just start finding a way to manifest it, make it happen.
2: I love that. Thank you for saying that, Linda, about the list. I feel lucky too. Um, (laughs) I really do No, it, but that's exactly right. I mean, start somewhere and start somewhere, not worrying about what the pay is. Uh, I would, when I first sort of embarked on this journey of, I named my company because my lawyer was saying, you know, do you want it just to be a numbered thing? And I said, Oh, I don't know. I'm like, a broadcast pirate. I'm owned by no one and work for everyone. So that stuck. It's broadcast pirate services. It's hysterically funny when filling out um, contracts. I I hearken back to that day I was standing in in the Safeway when I came up with that uh, because I just needed to have something. I had to get the paperwork together because I had my first opportunity that the only way to get paid is to have a business account. I learned on the fly. Let me put it that way. But my biggest hurdle to, to I think, answer at the heart of your question, for those who are thinking of doing this, who think it's scary to step away from the job that is the salary employee scenario, because I also have great respect for that, the fear associated with becoming a freelancer is, will I ever make enough to survive? The answer is Yes. If you work it in a way that you are constantly looking for the next thing to add to your stable of things that you're doing and make sure you're enjoying what you're doing uh, and that you tell people that you're available to do things and then ask for your value. I had to work for free less as a freelancer because in order to hold that day for the I'll just do it for the exposure thing. If one of my other clients came a call in and we're going to pay my rate, I would cancel on the free thing. And that's, I make that very clear. I'll still do the free thing. But if I get, you know, if Al Jazeera English calls me because there's breaking news that they want me to cover and they're paying me two days to do the work, I got to take the work. I'm for profit <laughs> as opposed to not for profit. And it's hard to ask for that. It's hard to, to do that in your mind. And the security, blanket of having that employee number and the swipe card, it really doesn't come with as much security in this day and age as it once did. That's number one. And number two, when you do get three or four contracts at play, a column at the Orca, um, uh, doing the steel and band show with Linda, um, having Al Jazeera English is part of it. I do something with Sirius XM. You know, once you have three or four or five of those things, if one goes away, the whole house of cards doesn't fall. That's not the case when you know five years of breakfast television. I got top lined. If you're the person making the most money, there's going to be a day where some bean counter somewhere is going to you know erase your name off the ledger, and that's that's the business. So I find it. And the times that I've been offered, can we woo you away for just this full-time job doing this? The answer is, I can't give up what I've built now for a singular thing because that becomes too risky, if that makes sense.
1: Absolutely. Do either of you have any closing thoughts?
0: Well, I think that a lot of young people who are looking to the media industry and wondering, is it still viable? You know, with all the fake news and layoffs and what have you. I think the next 10 years in the media business is going to be fascinating because all businesses are having to create new ways to stay relevant, to stay viable, to make money, to keep the eyeballs or the ears listening. And there will always be a robust media industry. It may not look like it does today, but I think that what the tools in your tool belt that make you successful today in terms of working hard, being creative, going the extra mile, always thinking big, always going for the best guest instead of accepting the one in the middle or the low-hanging fruit. All of those things will remain as important 10 years from now as they are today. So if anybody's not sure, I would say I have no regrets whatsoever about my lifetime spent in the media. What a fascinating time to have a front row seat to history unfolding and to get to talk to the newsmakers and to interview the premier one day and a drag queen the next day. It is just such a fun industry that has its challenges and has been very challenged in the past 10 years. But I would say, you know what? Go for it keep your eyes open, be prepared to work hard, know that it's not as glamorous as everybody thinks it's made out to be. I think I actually had a lunch break maybe five times in the last 30 plus years, but it is Mm -hmm. a job that is more than a job, so much more than a job or a career. It is a lifestyle almost. And I just think uh, that, yeah, the media will survive and will live on despite the challenges and you will never regret going into it if that's what you're meant to do.
2: It is so rewarding. I echo that sentiment so, so much, Linda. It's it's so rewarding, yet it is so difficult as well. It's hard work. We make it look easy. That's the, the whole goal. Three of us on this podcast right now have had the experience of The goal is to make it seem effortless. And there's a lot of work that goes into that. Uh, Because if it was easy work, everyone would do it because it is that rewarding. My closing thought would be for me in this stage, in this moment, looking as a mother, as, as a sister, as a daughter, as a colleague, as a friend, leaning local, we are also caught up in a whirlwind of international and often quite often salacious ugh, news that just is like the top clickbaity thing that we see on whatever the algorithm is. And I think coming back to Steele and Vance, one of the things that's very important to Linda and I is to be tied into that local piece. I believe that the growth in media is in educating people within community where we are, where our tax dollars are being used, where our initiatives and our voices can be used to make our cities, our our, our areas, our provinces, our country better and improve. And if just if helping just one person, right, can be a, a huge difference making piece of the puzzle where the social media newsness of it is, is the game of telephone needs to hung up on and engaging more with with people like like Linda Steele and 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 hopefully myself
1: thank you both so much for joining us super fun thanks for having us
2: total pleasure thank you
1: you can look for the Steele and Vance show Thursday nights at 8 p.m pacific time starting September 8th it will also be available to stream on check plus and for download as a podcast For Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast, I'm Connie Teeson.
0: Thanks for listening to Broadcast Dialogue. For more information about the podcast or to receive exclusive access to our weekly briefing about the Canadian media industry, visit us at broadcastdialogue.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, connect with us on LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter and SoundCloud.